Hello everyone and welcome to episode 5 in Ryan Lady Games podcast. I'm Ryan Lady and joining me this week is Billy Saunders. Say hello Billy. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Stuck in Good, good. Uh, as we all are, as we all are. Um, this week we are talking about storytelling and uh, Bill is a good friend of mine who uh, I've worked with in the past on in, well, in games development and in media and... Um, hopefully bring in his insight and experiences with storytelling games both as a media person as well as a just a games player as well um so first of all to start things off storytelling is a, a very deep topic uh, in in all sense of the words not just games and what we're hoping to do today is just give a bit of insight into what kind of things you should be looking out for when designing a story for a game uh what kind of things would make a good story and uh what kind of narratives uh design can we take from say film literature going into games and what kind of unique me- uh, unique uh features of the medium can we use to uh, to make the storytelling better so first things first i think we should start off by talking about um what do we feel storytelling can achieve in games in games sorry so what what differences do, do we think well what similarities do you think games have compared to say media and film uh and what differences do they have in storytelling in media and film so what 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 have you got to say on the topic uh, bill um yeah well i mean my kind of area that i teach is film and obviously narrative is a key point of that one of the things that we always focus on is the fact that storytelling is something that's ingrained in us it helps us to uh, understand and also to kind of um, uh, kind of break down what we see around us it also helps us to teach lessons it helps us to pass down history so obviously you know over thousands of years this has gone from word of mouth to to written words to um, you know artwork through to television film and obviously through to games and I think especially in the past decade for sure um, te- developing a narrative through um, games in particular has become uh, you know its own art form in itself and I think that it's something that I mean I know for sure myself have started to focus on a lot more when I'm kind of picking and choosing what I want to play I've stopped going for the you know typical online FPS's and I'm looking more for a narrative that draws me in and you know something I could become emotionally invested in as well Um start to build up a relationship with the characters you know mm. I think it, it it much like you do in a film you know you become more of an active spectator as opposed to something that someone that just takes it in and just takes whatever it's thrown at you as gospel you know um, yeah I think I mean most recently I don't get to play a whole lot anymore but uh, Uncharted 4 for example um that whole story blew me away it was like being part of a movie you know yeah um and one i would quite happily watch again and again and again you know yeah yeah um but i I find a lot more takes a lot more energy to be a part of as well it's quite nice to feel um exhausted after playing a game you know you don't get that from just watching a film or reading a book no no i mean there is the argument as well with games such as like uncharted uh, the uncharted series in, in general um is the storytelling 
Um, it, it, it is so it's becoming that that line that blurs between film and game is getting more and more blurry especially with certain games such as like the Uncharted series do you feel like that the the game element is being lost a bit there and do you feel like they could maybe make more use of the game sort of uh, uniqueness of a, of a game rather than uh, relying on all these filmic tropes where and all the all this um uh, cut scene, use of cut scenes and anima- high quality animations to tell that story uh, do, and I, I haven't played Uncharted 4 so I'm going by your experience but to me from an outsider it for me it is, it's, it's a scary way to go where you feel like you're more likely watching a story un- unfold rather than playing a story unfolding I mean I could be wrong I mean what's your what's your take on it uh, no I agree um I think that a lot of games now do rely on pre-rendered cutscenes or quick-time events. They they tend to kind of bug me. I think quick-time events can be quite a lazy way out of things. Um, I know when they kind of yeah. reworked the Tomb Raider series, um, playing I forget the name of the one where she's on the island. Um, I think it was just called Tomb Raider. Yeah, I think it probably was. Um, that, I felt like, was just a lot of quick time events, a lot of button yeah. mashing, um, where, you know, the actual parts where it just kind of let you play the level out, and it, it felt very open, but they'd done it in a way that actually it was quite linear. You know, you could only really go one way, but it felt like you had a choice. Um, yeah. And those were the most engaging parts. Um Whereas, yeah, there's a lot of games that just kind of throw a whole ton of cutscenes at you and, you know, not a lot really in mm. between. Um, I say I'm, I'm all, all, I find myself more attracted to stories which are told in not just in like cutscenes and, and story management like that, but also the gameplay sort of... Um, complements the story in a really nice way and it, it 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 is and they tend to become come across as the stronger stories the ones that are the ones that are remembered for well, at least in my mind are remembered for a long time um the most notable example i can think of in my head right now is braid um <laughs> did you ever play braid no it's one of those ones that was always on the list yeah well, sorry, I'm going to spoil Braid for you and everyone else, but it is like an ancient old game now, so yeah, you've had your chance. Uh, but Braid is, uh, a, a, if, you, a, a, if you have no idea what Braid is, Braid is a platformer game where you can manipulate time to rewind it to uh, go over your mistakes and um, make that jump a bit better or get that past the enemy quicker, whatever it may be. And it's a puzzle game, essentially. So you have to um, navigate through these levels, and each world has these sort of gimmicks and so forth. Uh, so one world may have little pockets where um, the closer you get to a black hole, the time slows down, the further away, time speeds up. Uh, one, when you move right, it, time goes forward. When you move left, it goes backwards, and so on and so forth. And the final world has uh, time, uh, time always reverses, okay? And... Um, you're throughout the game you're forever saying I've got to go rescue the princess go rescue the princess it's not just very, very much like a Mario type thing and you get to the end and um, the final level is you un- at the bottom half of the screen is you and at the top half of the screen is the princess who is seemingly getting chased by this um this night and you uh, he's chasing her at the top while you're trying to catch up at the bottom uh, fighting enemies getting through the levels getting past traps and so forth and um, you get right to the end and it kind of and it kind of flashes and, you, and it reminds you oh wait by the way this world you're in don't forget time 
goes backwards. So what you just experienced there, and you get to experience again in real time, like going forwards, that you're actually the what stalking her, and you're trying to catch her, and the knight is trying to save her. So you're causing all these little obstacles for the knight, and you're trying to stop the knight from reaching her, when in fact you're trying to catch her and separate her from the knight and so forth and it's a really clever way of saying like look the game mechanic here is telling the story and it makes you go and it makes you go oh snap okay geez right it makes you rethink that that storytelling uh, moment um and it's a really powerful moment and those moments stick to you um there's one other great example and i, uh, I one again spoiler alert it's brothers a tale of two sons i think it's called um and um this game it, it is one of the few games which uh, struck at me and s- just surprised me to no end and it's a, for a, it's, a, it's a short game it's about I'd say three hours long four hours long and it's a simple game where you play two brothers and you're on one controller so the left hand side of the controller controls one brother the older one and the younger brother's controlled on the right hand side of the controller so you've got your sticks where each stick controls each brother and the triggers are your sort of grab or interact or buttons so you play the game you're solving puzzles getting past enemies and so forth and the story is again spoiler alert uh, the older brother dies and um, throughout the game, you've had to use the brother, you work together with brothers to sort of reach higher ledges. Uh, the younger brother can't swim, so you, the other, older brother has to like help him across the water, so you have to grab hold of each other, and so on and so forth. And at the end of the game, the older brother's died. You, you, you as a younger brother, just on your own, using half the controller only, get back to the start of the, of the journey where, you, where you're aiming to go. And uh, you wash up on the beach, and you're, sort of, you're seemingly trapped because you, you, you as a younger brother can't get past this big body of water. And um, you approach the water, and the game does not tell you to do anything. But your instinct is, because you've been doing it the whole game, is to hold the older brother's interact button, even though he's dead and not there, to hold down his button whilst you're trying to get across water. And he is symbolically holding you up and holding you through the water. And he does that again. So when you come up to a higher ledge and you can't reach it, again, if you hold down your older brother's buttons whilst you're trying to do it with the younger brother, your younger brother will suddenly be able to reach it. And it's this metaphor of like saying like your older brother's with you and he's helped you and he's still with you even though he has passed on and you can and and he's helping you progress and grow as a person and it was a really strong powerful moment because again the game doesn't tell you to push these buttons you just have to figure it out and thinking like wait oh snap okay and it blows your mind it's it's truly a powerful moment and one i'll never ever forget and that's what i really like i really like it when gameplay supplements the storytelling and uses its mechanics in clever ways such as that and these granted both two examples are sort of smaller indie games where they can experiment with storytelling and i think you tend to see that a lot more i think you get to see that experimental storytelling happening a lot more of indie titles the smaller budget titles and then say the bigger ones uh which is strange you think but well, not i guess it's not so strange because i guess the big ones don't want to take as many risks do they i mean it's just like like big budget hollywood films we don't see hollywood films taking massive risks with storytelling um we have to wait until we see the indie films and the uh, the foreign films come across and show us oh these are unique ways of telling stories and characters and so forth um so it it's a it's a it's a it's a shame that we don't see those big budget 
titles taking more risks with storytelling but who knows maybe we'll see more uh, more like that going forwards yeah I um, think it's um, I think it's kind of it's, it's classically ingrained isn't it into any kind of creative industry when Hollywood first started out you know and it had its um, uh, every film followed the same kind of rigid structure and it weren't until they yeah. came up with a packet system that really that you could then go and you know start going for a specific style and then obviously you know we had the new wave movement and you know that developed the idea of the auteur and I think you, you get that in game making as well you know there are some uh, developers oh, yeah. out there that you you know you recognise I mean I recognise a Naughty Dog game purely by how deep their narratives go mm. but I think you know what you were talking about with twists narrative twists and stuff I think the the only thing is it's almost become expected now you know that there is a twist in there yeah. um, and that for me has started to become qu- uh, quite stale um, so you know yeah. it's, it's when like you were saying with that example you just gave you know when the actual gameplay itself then gets quite twisted um, you know there's a classic examples of you know like is it Psycho Mantis in Metal Gear Solid you know yeah. where you have to swap the uh, controller over into a different port you know it, it's those little things that I think really aware games in general can develop a story a lot more than any other form of media can um, oh definitely yeah because you know that that's where you start to become you know actively part of that story yeah um and uh, yeah as you said games have that unique uh, quality of engaging with the player and getting the player to be part of the story and be interactive with that story um again with the example of brothers that as i said it, it, you, you can't move on until you figure that bit out but once you figure that bit out that metaphor that theme has then embedded itself into you and you now know what the game is about what it really is about it's not just a beautiful fun platformer puzzler it's this story this incredible story about two brothers who didn't always get on but are after all are there for each other and it's a I say a really beautiful message um thinking about those triple a games that um not taking risks i think there's only one i can think of that histor- historically will take risks with storytelling and I think that's Hideo Kojima with um, Metal Gear Solid Death Stranding and so forth um, I think if when you think of video game storytelling risks I think he's up there um, for just the crazy ideas he has um, have you played Death Stranding um, at all Bill? Um, no but I kind of spoiled it for myself because after seeing all the marketing campaigns for it I just wanted to know what yeah. what, what it was actually about so you know yeah um, and I've got to say, having read the story, having watched various gameplay videos, I mean, I think I've pretty much gone through most cutscenes from the game. I still haven't got mm. a clue what that story is about. You know, I no. think I could probably, <laughs> probably take a little bit of a guess, but, um, but I think yeah, that's key. I think that's why, you know, the gameplay element, it helps to stitch those components together. You know, I don't think you should be able to tell a game story just by dipping into Wikipedia and some cutscenes on YouTube, you know. No. Well, especially because you think about games are telling stories over tens of hours. Um, 
Whereas if you try and ingest it all through uh, Wikipedia in 30 minutes, it's not going to be the same experience, is it? Storytelling, that, that narrative device of time is super important. And it's how we, as you said at the right start, it's a, it's a learning experience. You're teaching the viewer or player in this case, uh, themes, characters, motivations, things like that over a, over a time period. And you're drip feeding them that information as they go. And if you were to lump it all onto the, onto the player at start or in one lump sum uh, that impact is lost and that understanding is lost um, so there's a lot of people who say like don't, for example won't play Death Str- or haven't played Death Stranding or Metal Gear Solid games that don't understand the story but um, those who have played the games will tell you that they understand it fully and I think the, the, the in the Hollywood version I think that's the Matrix films in this case whereas if anyone who's reading a Wikipedia entry on what happens in Matrix 1, 2 and 3 it would just confuse the hell out of them but if you were watching watching those films it makes perfect sense well I find it makes perfect sense anyway to myself but uh, that, I think that that's the I think that's the uh, the similarity between film and games that you've got the Matrix side of things and you've got the Hideo Kojima games type of things where they're both trying to be trying to, they're trying to usually hold a mirror up to current modern day civilization and uh, re- make it reflect upon inside inside the medium so you've got the Matrix obviously talking about how we're slaves to the machine and things like that and then you've got uh, Hideo Kojima's almost similar sort of thing but slaves to like our genetics and, and machines and things like that um, two different narrative forms but telling the same sort of th- uh, thematic uh, uh, metaphors and, th- and, well, and themes um, I think one thing we should uh, also uh, cover today is talking about the hero's journey um, hero's journey is a classic narrative um i don't know how what would you describe it is it's a narrative sort of template isn't it i guess yeah i guess it mainly focuses on specific character roles and how they develop mm. that story um yeah you know it's primarily based on fairy tales really um mm. but you know that's pretty much the structure that we follow with most stories um yeah and arguably where most of the twists come from as well is where you kind of start to blur the lines between those roles. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, for anyone listening that wants to know a lot more about Hero's Journey, because we won't go into all the steps, um, just Google Hero's Journey and there's some good diagrams out there which show you what actually happens with this story. And if you were to apply it to a game or, or film, um, you can see how it applies really cleanly to it. Uh, some good examples to apply it to that are really obvious are like Lord of the Rings and the Star Wars films. Um, they're all very good. I also find Toy Story works quite well as well as a, uh, a device for that. Um, but yeah, let's take a look at it. Um, but we'll we'll cover some basics of, of the actual hero's journey. So yeah, the premise of the hero's journey is that the hero um, starts in a familiar state. They are at home essentially. Uh, no, they're living a day to day life. Nothing's out of the ordinary. And that's the point where you sort of set up the world and set up the characters and so forth. And usually in a film, this is like most of the first act. Like it, it is, it's 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 a good chunk of the film. Not even the first act. It's it's a good chunk of the film. Uh, like a good 20-30 minutes I reckon um, so this is like you watching Frodo in Hobbit 
it's him interacting with Gandalf, them going to the fair, then all that interaction. That's that set up part. That's that familiar territory. So why do we do that, Bill? Do you want to elaborate why we want to start off by? Uh, are you happy to explain that to the people? Yeah, I why guess. Start there? Uh, I guess the main point of that is to um, develop some kind of familiarity um, and start to develop kind of a an understanding of that character, isn't it? It's mm. um, to. I mean, it's a literal start to their journey. It's it's where you start to um, uh, outline their characteristics, outline, um, you know, their their approach um, to, well, just everything in general, um, yeah. I guess, to begin with. Um, and I guess it starts to introduce you to, there's a the, the theory regarding the... Um, characters by a guy called Vladimir Prop and it starts to introduce you to some of those key characters that then kind of push that journey onto the next um, you know the, the the point of the call to adventure as I say so, and as you said the call to adventure is the next part and the call to adventure is that inciting incident it's the thing that is so you're watching the ordinary and then suddenly the extraordinary happens something out of the ordinary happens to our main character or characters and uh, which is the sort of the spark to the adventure the call to adventure and it's that point where you want the hero to decide whether or not they're going to go on that adventure or not and it's that conflict we have uh, inside the hero's character that is the most important part I feel like it's it's the part where that hero that that character is deciding they want to change they want to develop they want to be better um so for Luke in Star Wars, that inciting incident is probably him discovering the hologram message from Princess Leia uh, to go find Obi-Wan Kenobi. And it's that moment where he's going, well, do I, I I've, got, I've got to go find Obi-Wan Kenobi, but Uncle Owen needs me to do X, Y, Z things on, on the farm. It's him finding excuses for, to not go on that adventure. And until he makes that choice, and uh, he, that that choice is usually helped by a third party. And in this case, it's R two D two who goes wandering off into the desert, um, and that kind of forces Luke to go. Okay, yes, I'll go on this adventure and go find Obi Wan Kenobi. And that sort of it does the chain reaction of things that kicks off the adventure. Um, in Lord of the Rings, the inciting incident will probably be um, them finding the ring. Um, and uh, deciding what to do with it. And it's Frodo's decision to go off and take it to Rivendell and, and things like that. And we get that in games too. But the thing I find in games is that that, uh, that duration between the start of the game where you're developing the world, understanding the characters, and the inciting incident is a lot shorter. It's a lot less time spent in game. Um trying to think of a good example for this um so in half-life 2 we start off half-life or, or half-life 1 we'll do half-life 1 or 2 doesn't really matter both do it but so in half-life 1 we start the game off with gordon freeman on the train on his way to work he goes into work everyone says hello he gets his badge gets his uh suit on and he does his job he goes in and you, whilst you're doing this you're hearing whispers about how this test shouldn't be going ahead because it's dangerous and so forth so forth and then in the call to adventure happens when Gordon is 
exposed to this new alien threat that's invaded the, the Black Mesa laboratory. And now that court adventure, it's, pretty much, it's, it's never really a moment in... It's hardly a silent protagonist, but it's that moment of the player's decision, do I want to continue with this adventure? Is it, is it interesting for me to carry on playing? Because at the moment I've just gone to work and done work things. It'd be nice to know whether or not I should carry on doing this. Um, can you think of any other examples, Bill, from your experience as a game player um, of those sort of that sort of lull, that first moment where you are no- seeing normality? Yeah, um, I think it was uh, Xbox series called things called Blue Dragon. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Where you kind of start that off, and for the longest time, it's just yeah, kind of just introducing the characters and. Mm-hmm. You know, like you say, kind of the calm before the storm. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think the thing that games tend to do is that that call to adventure is always kind of thrust upon the player, isn't it? It's it is you know not necessarily a, a choice as such. I think uh, it's far one of the Far Cry games where actually at the start you do have that option to refuse. Yes, that is right. Yeah. Um, you know, if you wait for the guy to get back, the the adventure <laughs> ends there. Yeah. Um, you know, which I find quite interesting. It's, it's something yeah. that most stories don't give you the option in. No, you know. I would like to see that more in games, that that idea. I mean, it's, it's a joke gimmick thing because you know the player's immediately going to start the game up again. But it's an interesting gimmick to say like, oh, by the way, you don't have to go on this adventure. You, you could just sit here and live the rest of the game. It'd be over for you in a very short while. But I think that's a really interesting thing to do. Like, I think it was Far Cry 4... Yeah, four four did that, um, and yeah, I, I say it was really quite cool. Um, so I'd like to see more of that. It'd be interesting to see more of that. Yeah, um, I tend to get quite bored with the. It's kind of the typical trope that's used. I mean, I know that it's literally a framework. This uh, the hero's journey thing, but the yeah. the initial kind of refusal to yeah to, to kind of embark. You know, the oh, I'm not strong enough kind of. Yeah, I'm not strong enough, not brave enough. Don't I don't have the right equipment, whatever it may be. Um, yeah. It's them trying to find that excuse, isn't it? Yeah, I find it quite interesting where you have a game where straight away they kind of jump in. I mean, the, the Halo games, for example. You know, you, yeah. you, you jump out, you learn the controls, you're straight in. Um, there's no, oh, I can't be bothered or. Yeah, no, it, it is very much like that. Um, I think the closest you get to that is the little uh, startup where you have to point your light, uh, your camera at lights to check your Y axis if you want. Um, that's literally, I think, it's the only quiet time they have in those games. Um, but I say it's, it's more common than not to have a very little, if not no, sort of normality at start where you get to see the hero in their natural environment. Uh, some games do. Um, uh, uh, some uh, uh, good examples are the Naughty Dog games. Um, you see Drake doing his little treasure hunt. That's his normal life. That's what he does. Uh, you see um, Joel going out his business until he finds Ellie. You know, it is... It's a day-to-day for them. Um, granted, they're, they're not ordinary circumstances, but for them, they are ordinary. Um, so some games do do it, and you find it's the more narrative-heavy games that show that sort of stuff, um, and less so for the action-orientated games. Um, I think it's just mostly because it's a fear for developers that you're not getting the player into action straight away. Um, 
And I, I think that all comes down to the, what world you're, you're showing the, the player. If the world's interesting enough, it, you can hold their interest. Because um, for the character, it may be an ordinary, boring world. But if it's interesting to the player, then it can't, it won't be. Um, so a good example of that is the Last of Us game. Like it's 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 interesting to walk at, and it is walking at a slow pace, walking through the city, looking at what's going on, looking at what the characters are doing, looking what people well, listening to what people are saying. Uh, it's that moment just to absorb the world you're in at the moment and go right, okay, this is the state of affairs. Okay, um, I mean and. And going further into that hero's journey, the the main thing that we want to do is push the player and the character out of their comfort zone. So after the court adventure, they go into sort of a stage called belly of the beast type stage where they're, they're invited to go into the most dangerous point, the, the, the enemy's lair, the, the dragon's cave, whatever it may be. Um, and that's where the conflicts between them and the, uh, the darker version of themselves and the temptresses and things like that, that are going to try and stop their journey there and then. Um, and again, that and I feel like that that stage itself is quite a large portion of the game, um, but not necessarily always. I say all these things are come with the caveat. It's not always the case because people are always trying to develop new, interesting things with story, um, and it, all all the better, I'd say. I think that that whole yeah that that whole point of the journey is like say you know ninety percent of the game. Um, what becomes quite predictable is the point where um, you you get to a point where you think that the, the your character is kind of done with their journey. Um, either they're not strong enough to continue, or they lose a key item, or something like that. Um, yeah, which you know people refer to it as the the abyss moment and you see it all the time in film you see it all the time in, mm-hmm. in you know literature as well the point where the hero kind of gets to a point where they think that they can't carry on yeah um it's one of those things i think that again it's almost got to a point where you expect it to happen um, oh yeah yeah so you know at that point where in a game <clears throat> things start to go downhill you're just kind of waiting for that that moment that's just going to launch off yeah. the rest of the game um, I played Journey recently mm-hmm. which was uh, fantastic and there's a point right at the end of the game um, where you're climbing the mountain um, and then you just kind of collapse and, and part of me was hoping that the game would just stop there you know um, yeah but I just knew that something would happen and yeah. something would come and rescue me and I'd launch off into the sunset, literally mm-hmm. launch off into the sunset. Um, and I, I think that, I mean, it's, it's not lazy. I think it's just that's what we've come to expect. Um, yeah. I think what's important about that particular stage itself is, uh, and f- film and games are guilty of this, is we need to avoid the Deus Ex Machina uh, effect where um, you're in the abyss where it's all hope is lost and then suddenly something out of nowhere, a miracle comes out and saves him from that abyss. Um, I never, it, well, no, no one ever likes that. It should never be the case that it's the... the I feel like the audience should never be surprised to see how 
a solution is made what they should be surprised about and what I would, would say is the better option is when you see a character in the abyss sort of part of their journey where they, it's the bottom of the hill they're in the pit they got to get out you know how they got to get out and it's usually them sacrificing something uh, something that did to them be it, uh, or it could be like one of their morals something of great loss to them um, to help them get where they want to be and this could also become a thing where they have to overcome something that they've never overcome before um, I, I like seeing uh, uh, characters in tricky situations but being given all the tools they need to get out of that situation and then the pl- and then the viewer and player realising those tools are there before the character does and and when the character does see that it's a big hit for that character and there's one classic example I can think of um, that I watched in a film recently with my children that's Wally um, not Wally um, Inside Out um, Inside Out yeah Inside Out it's the uh, Pixar film um, with the uh, emotions have you seen this yeah oh, I still cry yeah. over the uh, spoiler alert death of Bing Bong that's what I'm talking about yeah the, the abyss bit is when uh, Joy and Bing Bong the character Bing Bong are in the literal abyss um, trying to get out before they're forgotten and all you need to know how they're going to get out of there is right there in front of you they've got the, the magic cart thing they've got Bing Bong and they've got Joy and you see them try and get out and try and get out and they can't. And then the Bing Bong realises that the only way they he can they can get out is if he stays behind uh, and is forgotten. And Christ almighty, it, it wells me up every time I watch it. Because um, Joy gets out, turns around and sees Bing Bong disappear into dust, gets Thanos right out of the abyss. And, uh, and, and that's what I really like to see is that sort of moment where... The, char- the, the character has fundamentally changed after they've got out of the abyss. Um, something's really happened to them. Uh, they've learned their lesson, they've learned their mistakes, they've, and they've atoned for their sins, or essentially, to get out of the situation they're in. Um, what we don't like is seeing a Deus Ex Machina come in. And uh, another Pixar example I find for this is in Toy Story 3, when they're going to die, quote-unquote die, um, in the furnace, and suddenly a literal machine with angelic sounds and bright white lights comes down saves them from damnation and the fiery hell pit um, it is literally a deus ex machina uh, and it'd be different if we would set up beforehand and we will give him information beforehand that, oh the aliens aren't here they were here they've gone wandering off looking for the mythical great claw um I think if we had that little a scene, a little scene before, right at the start, when they when they got to this location, the aliens seeing, oh, this giant claw is doing its thing, cool, and they go wandering off on their own. If we saw that, perfect, because then we would have seen, because no one f- believes the toys are going to die. No one goes, oh, they're going to burn. Cause it's a kid's film, for one. <laughs> It'd be a really m- messed up way of doing it. Um which, by the way, side note, did, did you ever see the video of the guys who edited out the the saving part of that scene and l- cut it to credits and showed it to their mum? Yeah, I was just going to mention that, actually. I prefer <laughs> that cut. I think that that cut is that's absolutely a dark brilliant. Cut. That's, that's a the, dark cut. That's, just, that's the way that story should have ended. I mean, I just watched Toy Story 4 and I'm not happy, you know. I've yet to watch it, so I'll, I'll hold my reservations until I see it. But yeah, I'm saying yeah, nothing. Yeah, it's a... It's a fun. It's a fun bit, um, 
But it is literally a, a, a god machine comes out of the sky and saves them. And I think that you need a bit of setup. Again, the, the viewer needs information to see because the viewer likes to figure out things. And uh, and it goes with the player as well. The player wants to figure out things and wants to figure out the solution and goes, right, okay, how are we going to do this? Blah, blah, blah. Um, a good example I find for this is in Halo 3. Did you ever play Halo 3? Uh, yeah, to death for about 19 hours a day for about two years. <laughs> okay, good. So you know what I'm talking about. So in, in Halo 3, um, I guess you call it a bit moment, is that the bad guys are uh, threatening the whole entire galaxy and um, uh, the monitor, uh, Guilty Spark, um, reveals to you that they can they could detonate all the all the rings um and kill all the all the flood um and the player is like well how uh, how are we going to do that we we've got nothing to do this and then it's and then you're reminded like oh by the way yeah we've still got that detonation key that we picked up from the first game we could use that and like well how can we use that well earlier we saw the ring we destroyed in the first game being rebuilt that key would work on that and you're like hang on right okay the plan is then we're going to go to that first ring use the first key and detonate it and save the world and so it's what galaxy and what i really liked about that was that it came full circle and what that's what i like about halo 3 is it, it literally comes full circle when a game's called halo um you go back to the start you go back to where you were in the first game but this time rather than stopping a detonation you're trying to start the detonation so they've sort of flipped it and it's a really cool flip where now the heroes are trying to do the thing that you you're you're trying to stop in the first game and uh I don't know. It really, it really stuck with me that ending. I thought it was a really cool ending, and then I go messed it up with Halo Four and Five. But I thought it was a that was a perfect way to end that series. Was like, oh, by the way, you're gonna do the thing you're trying to stop in the first game um, to save the galaxy, and, it, and I think it worked really nicely because you had the tools there. You, if you were a fan and played all all the, all the games, and you were given all that information, um, I, I really liked that. I thought it was a really nice moment. Mm. What um, I, what I quite like on, with, sorry. Oh, sorry, I was going to say what I quite like with games, just on the topic of kind of having information and then you realising it before the characters, I think is always the replayability of games. I mean, that first time you play through Bioshock and, you know, you find oh, out yeah. about the Would You Kindly line and then, you know, uh, I just downloaded the remastered versions and I've been playing through that. Every time, every time he says, "Would you kindly?" <laughs> yeah, you notice it all the time. You're like, "Oh snap!" Okay. <laughs> and Bioshock is a great series of games, which really plays on the, uh, the I think the the gimmicks of games and and game playing, and uses those to a great narrative device, like the whole "Would you kindly?" thing. Um, to explain to anyone who's not played Bioshock, would you kindly is a phrase uttered by your narrator, essentially. And you like find out in the game that's how they brainwashed you. So he'll just say that and then say a command and you go do it. And that kind of nicely plays with the whole idea in games that you do whatever the characters tell you to do. That like gives you an objective, you go do it no matter what it is because that's the way you play games. And it's a really nice commentary on that is, oh, would you kindly go push this button go kill this dude and you're like okay okay i'll do that because i'm a minder slave because i'm a game player that's what i do um and i, I, I and it goes forward as well in bioshock infinite um 
their whole idea was choice and how you don't you have there are some choices but ultimately that there are no choices like your fate is your fate and uh and the player throughout the game is given these random choices by the lutest twins who are testing you and you realize that those choices you make have no impact at all on your experience of the story in the game the, the game will end the same way as you always do um the the, the difference is is that um it, it's it's reinforcing the idea that choice ultimately doesn't matter it changes the local sort of uh, choices but the grand scheme of thing your fate is your fate and it kind of plays nice with the idea of respawning and the whole idea i, I, I kind of blows my students minds with in bioshock infinite is that every time you die you respawn you're not the same booker you're a different booker from a different universal timeline uh, we could go into bioshock infinite in depth and talk about its story but we'll be here all night um so it, essentially you're respawning as a different booker a different timeline um and you're just rejoining the fight just at that moment so it's him he's travelled the whole way and he's got to the same point as you did and you're just carrying on um, it, it's a great way of explaining the respawn mechanic in games away and saying oh this is why you're respawning you're not actually respawning you're you're just going to a different universe and seeing the different choices that book has made uh, which is a really nice touch um, earlier on you mentioned the game Journey and it, it brought me to uh, a good thought and one thing that games really do give us as game players is the whole idea of emergent storytelling. Are you familiar with this uh, term? It rings a bell, but I'll let you explain it. Yeah, okay. So emergent storytelling is um, the idea that the players or, or viewers um, get to... To, uh, well, they, they make up their own stories, essentially, based on their own experiences. And games, are notably, are really good at this because just for the nature of them being interactive. But Journey is a great game all about emergent storytelling. The thing that people come away from Journey with is not necessarily about their journey to a mountain it's who they journeyed the mountain with and what happened with those people along the way that's emergent storytelling because the player is making that story up and they're they're uh, applying new logic new thoughts new themes to these new characters along the way in that in that in that story um and we get Two, we, in games, we get two types of emergence. We get emergent gameplay and emergent story. Emergent story is those discussions that we have with other people. Like you go online, go. Um, uh, we talk. Uh, uh, I don't know. Let's go The Witcher. Okay, so you're playing The Witcher, and you went on this big hunt, and you had to do a really cool preparation. Go certain to certain bad guys. Uh, it, domino effect where killing one thing led to another thing, led to a fire. All, all these sorts of things. Like it, the the game had a lot of systems which interacted with you to enough for you to come up with come away with a different story than everyone else. You then go back to work the next day and talk to people who played that same mission. And each of you have got different experience because you approached it in different ways. And giving the player that agency about how they conquer problems and how they develop a story is a great benefit to storytelling in games. And games that do that 
tend to live longer or live longer in people's minds at least because it encourages those conversations it encourages those discussions um this is why things like uh, games like DayZ done so well um, at the start because of this emergent storytelling. We, we There were stories of people setting up um, gangs and they were imprisoning people in like Walking Dead style in these gangs. And the game doesn't tell you to do any of this. It's just something they decided to do. And it's that emergent storytelling which what sold that game to many people. It was those experiences that people were, were doing which was really great. Um, the most modern example I can think of is the Sea of Thieves game, uh, a pirate game where you can be pirate, just live life as a pirate. Um, but the storytelling that comes out of there is from the player's point of view. The players are dictating their story. They're dictating what's going on, dictating the action. Um, and the story emerges out of it. The other emergence is gameplay emergence and that is where the player uses the 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 gameplay mechanics in different ways than a developer intended and the most famous example of this is from the the game deus ex uh, the original deus ex and they what happened in this story was um players figured out that the wall mines that you put on the walls as one of your weapons had a hitbox on them meaning that you can stand on them and they use them as stepping stairs to like place on the wall and use them as stairs to climb out of levels and and get past enemies get past encounters and so forth so a game that was quite famous about player choice and emergent storytelling and emergent action had this new emergence where it was like oh players are now using this obscure technique to get out of maps and get out of environments and um away from enemies and getting past barricades and the game a game allows you to do that and that was something that game the game designers did not um foresee and it was a surprise for them and something they actively encouraged and liked because it was after all it was a game that was all about that um that sort of player agency um but it was something they didn't expect and that emergent gameplay came out of it and there, there have been other examples since then um I'm trying to think of another good example. Um, usually they're like big online games where people start setting up... Um, oh, no, good one. Uh, World of Warcraft on the RP servers, the role-playing servers, at Goldshire, which is a town at the start of World of Warcraft as a human. Uh, they, uh, one night a week, will do storytelling in the inn. So you, as your character, you can sit in, a, in the inn drinking fake virtual beer and tell stories to each other campfire stories and that's something obviously the game doesn't tell you to do um, but it's a new thing they that, that, that players just rallied around and started doing um, so emergence is a really cool thing that games have quite unique to them um, maybe you get emergent storytelling from some films which have more like a vague and ambiguous um story uh, uh, story moments that let, let audience members sort of debate and argue about what it all means and what the takeaway was from it but it's definitely something that is unique to games and what they bring forward uh, to the to the medium um, so yeah so when you're designing a story um, there are a few things should be I think you should go ahead and think about first of all most first of all Look at film studies in storytelling. Uh, I can't stress that enough. Like we borrow so much from film, um, it's it's crazy. And look at how storytelling is done in film. Then I'd suggest is 
taking what or, or thinking about what do games have what tools do you have in games development in games and interactive media that you don't in, in film and how can you use that to help tell those stories and how to support those stories I don't think you're looking for a gimmick you don't need to have a gimmick but as long as you are supportive of the story you're telling I feel like that's that's a, a good step forward um, what, else, what other tips would you give for people that are trying to write stories for uh, their games uh, Bill um, yeah I mean off the back of looking at film I think the key thing is you know it's all about the development of characters and film tends yeah, to play perfect. on the same kind of role so you always have your hero you have your villain there's usually a damsel in distress without a person or an object or just a goal in general there's always a dispatcher usually the person who's telling you where to go um mm-hmm. you know it, it's those those elements there if you want to kind of do something new with that it's about taking those roles and kind of <clears throat> reordering them perhaps um you know in in the world of film I think I've watched Frozen about 86 times this past week. You know? <laughs> um, but every time, you know, I, I, I look at the character of Prince Hans, and I think they've they've done it so well. They had this guy as yeah. the as the hero throughout the whole film until that he one. He sings in one of the moment. entry songs. Exactly. When do you get the bad guy scene with the uh, the protagonist? Well, this in is that is yeah, it's rare. It's, you don't get that. You don't get Gaston singing with Belle or the Beast, do you? You get. You, 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 but here you have Arno and Hans just singing about love, and uh, yeah, it was, it was a great twist. I agree. I think that it's it's playing on those tropes. So it's playing on what the audience expects. Um, you know, you you look at that. You, you tend to look at it as you know the good-looking, you know, smooth-skinned character is always your hero. The the ugly, hairy. Or mm-hmm. dark character is always your villain. You know, it is playing on those tropes. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of games out there where, you know, it turns out that you're the villain. And I never get tired yeah. of that, you know. Um, no, no, definitely not. But then. I think games can get away with that, I feel like, a lot better than films can. Um, yeah. I think, I feel like the anti hero works better for games than it does. Um, does for film yeah it all comes down to alignment so obviously in film it's super easy to align your audience with whatever your character's thinking because no matter you know who that character is good or bad if you're seeing it from their point of view and seeing their justification for it then that's when you you start to see them as a hero regardless um whereas you know in game where you kind of have choice in that matter i think that's the key thing and you know i remember back when uh, i was in secondary school and someone was talking to me about fable and the fact that you could have a choice and there was a you know a moral barometer in that um you could be a hero or you could be a villain um i think having those small choices is key um and it's all about i think not playing into audience expectations um, and again, it's risky, you know, um, films tend to stick with the same tricks because they know that it sells well. Yeah. Games tend to do the same as well. Um, people get angry, you know, people give bad reviews. If, if a game story doesn't do what they expect it to do, or if they think that that twist is stupid or, 
you know, unnecessary. Mm. Um, but ultimately, it's it's sometimes that bravery pays off. You know, um, a, a lot of people that I speak to playing Last of Us, they they hate the choice that Joel makes at the end. Um, yeah. They think that it's ridiculous. It basically almost invalidates the whole game. Um, but I like that. Um, and I think that it really depends on, on the audience as well. Um, whenever I teach film and I talk about how audiences respond and align to certain characters or certain points in the narrative, I always say you have to think about people's actual experiences in life as well. Um, yeah. You know, if, if you've got a cops and robbers game... Um, or if you're watching a film, like a typical Cops and Robbers film, and you yourself are a career cat burglar, you're probably not going to watch that and think that the cops are the heroes. <laughs> um, so it's all about, I think, yeah. giving your yeah. players choice as well. Yeah. Um, on, on, uh, carrying on with you, what you were saying about characters, I feel like one thing that you definitely need to make sure you have to tell a story... Uh, I think people confuse story with plot and I feel like a good story compared to a plot is a, is a story that has a character that develops and changes throughout and returns back to their life as a different person. They've changed. Something about them changed. Not physically, I don't mean. I don't mean like they've gotten stronger or anything like that, but they've changed in their morals, their ethics, their point of view whatever it may be um their outlook on life has changed massively and because of their experiences and i find the films and games i don't like are when it comes to story is when the character has made zero change they've just gone on an adventure done loads of stuff and gone back home they basically it it feel what it does feel like it feels like that was their normal life it doesn't feel like they've made any differences or any change in themselves um so when you are designing these characters make sure they've got an arc and i don't mean just the main character i mean all characters especially the villain as well um i can't remember which uh, uh film director or writer said it but the the villain in his point of view is doing the right thing um so with that keep that in mind when you're designing villains a good villain has that in mind they think they're doing the, the, the right thing uh, Gaston in Putin the Beast thinks he's doing the right thing he thinks he's killing this monstrous beast in a castle that is uh, threatening the town and things like that when he's not he, he, he's, he's being rash decisions about his own vanity and things like that um, you want to make sure that that is the case. I mean, I'm trying to think of a villain that think they're just doing villain for villain sakes. I think um, one example is uh, Jafar in the actual like cartoon Aladdin. I think they fixed it a little bit in the new Aladdin, but in 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 the cartoon Aladdin, Jafar just wants to be the most powerful because he wants to be the most powerful. There's no rhyme or reason to it, really. Uh, they tend to try and fix that with the live action one they did. I feel like they tried to make him. Um, justify it by saying oh we need we've got enemies encroaching upon us we need to show our power we need to be more powerful and 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 show it um so i feel like they try to justify it a little bit with the the, the remake the live action remake but um definitely in the cartoon he's just bad guy for being bad guy's sakes um so definitely um think about how your character is going to change um and there, are, there are some films I've seen that I've just hated because I've I've learnt nothing, or actually, 
on uh, actually thinking about it I would say your character has to change or the player has to change their own point of view and uh, things. As long as one of them changes, either the player slash viewer or the character inside the film, movie, whatever it may be, also changes. Um, a, a good example of a film I watched recently that I didn't like. Um, uh, what was it called? Um, Vivarium. Have you, have you heard of this film, Bill? It's uh, new. No, I haven't heard that one, no. Okay, so it's a new film with Jesse Eisenberg in it, and it's oh, the I have premise. Heard of it. It. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm going to spoil it by the way for anyone who hasn't watched it. Don't worry, you're not missing much. Um, it's a, a new couple looking for a house. They find a house and they sort of get locked in this sort of weird weird location where they can't escape. There's only them. It's a loop. Um, everything's perfect pristine they can't get out there's this weird boy character they've got to raise who doesn't seem human or isn't human and uh, and yeah it's just them trying to figure out how to get out of this place and spoiler alert essentially at the end um, they've had enough she, she snaps and slaps the the, the weird creature man and he goes under, underneath the pavement and she falls into it and finds alternative universes with this, other people locked in the same place who have like killed themselves or going mad insane being locked up in this weird location and at the end she dies all the characters die apart from the main bad bad I guess you call it bad guy antagonist um he and the game basically loops back on itself. Uh, the game, the film loops back on itself. So at the start, it, way it starts is the way it ends, and no one has changed. No one has developed. I've learnt nothing new. If I'd learnt what the hell that place was and what it was doing and anything like that, it would change my opinion on it. If I, if I, I don't mind if I've learnt it. I don't care if the if, if I've learnt it and the characters haven't. That's fine because um, as long as someone's grown here if, if even it's me and no one else but it was a film that was like it got to the end of me and my wife we were just looking at each other like well alright you get this idea of incompleteness and you feel like you, you feel more confused about what you just experienced you feel like you're just experiencing something for the sake of experiencing it and um, in my research I was looking up and trying to figure out what the hell it was I just googled it like what the hell does this film actually mean and the director of it uh, gave the the basic cop out of um, he wanted audiences to develop their own thoughts and experiences about what was they're seeing and trying to and come up with their own ideas which I feel like is a massive writing cop out in my opinion I feel, I, I feel I don't know about you Bill but that to me is like meh. yeah waste um, <laughs> there's there's quite a few films I've seen that are like that where it's it comes down to audience interpretation and generally yeah. though they're the ones that are kind of surreal or avant-garde like there's a film by David Lynch called The Grandmother mm. um, which you know I had to teach for um, a level film and when I've got students saying to me, you know, what was that about? What was the journey? What was the point of that? And, you know, I've got to stand there and go, oh. there wasn't a point. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, she started what whistling you, at your... one point, started flying yeah. around the room, and that's pretty much it, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just a story for the sake of story, and I feel like no no one, no one's the better for it. I thought that was expensive 
Yeah. That was an expensive um, piece of artwork to look at. I um, felt like that at the end of um, Destiny when that came out. Oh, all, Destiny 1, yeah. All the DLC. You know, it got to the end of the story and I was uh, I was actually yeah. shocked that it ended. I, was, I wasn't expecting yeah. it. Um, yeah. And I think there's quite a famous line from that game, isn't there, that they repeated in Destiny 2 it was kind of like uh, a yeah. massive cop out line I can't remember exactly what he says yeah um, let's see if we can find it because it's hilarious it Wizards from the Moon or whatever it is um, that line you're talking about I'll find that it that Wizards yeah. from the Moon or something like that I can't remember now it's, it's, it's someone's trying to you know explain the whole story to him basically um, or explain reasoning behind something and I think it's something oh, right, okay. of, oh, you, you wouldn't understand or I don't have time yeah. to tell you you know yeah. Um, yeah it just kind of felt like a massive cop out um, but yeah that whole story I, I didn't know kind of where I went I felt like I ran around a lot shot a lot of things but didn't really know what I'd learned from that um, yeah yeah you know, so, uh, and because you're, yeah, you're playing a character which is a faceless, nameless character, doesn't talk. It it, it becomes you. You want to, it, you you are that character. So therefore, you are the one who's expecting to learn things. You're the one who's expecting to to change and grow during it. Um, and that clearly didn't happen in the first Destiny game. For the second game, the second game does better job at that by giving you. Uh, secondary characters which you can sort of follow and they're almost like protagonists I guess mm. um, um, so I feel like the story sort of follows you a bit better in that one um, it helps so I've actually have got a plot in it as well that you can follow yeah I mean I've just found the line it's I don't even have time to explain why I don't have time to explain that's it um, yeah. <laughs> but you know it's, <laughs> I think games like Mass Effect for example are brilliant for it but for the multi-stranded narrative if we're staying with characters you know mm. the fact that you build a relationship with all these characters and I think it's in it's in the third one that your choices kind of determine which ones live which ones die which ones stick with you at yeah. the end yeah they, they kind of yeah um, which I think is brilliant because obviously you, you spend most of your time focusing on one character you know games like Final mm. Fantasy and stuff like that where you develop a whole team it's you know that's one way of doing it but games like that where these are just secondary characters to your own that support you um, yeah, you know, but they're so integral to the story, um, and it's their development as well. Um, and I think as well, again, it's our moral barometer, um, or just kind of the fact that choices, actions have consequence. That's kind of the the the, the key premise yeah. that I think games can do that the films obviously can't. You know, I mean, outside mm. of things like Bandersnatch and stuff like that now. Um, yeah, you can't make a choice in a film. You you can't have a moral barometer. You've got to go no. with what the story yeah. says. You've got to agree with the characters because you haven't got a choice. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the cause and effect sort of uh, thing coming into play, isn't it? Like this this has happened because you did this or made this choice, um, and that comes down just to even just moment to moment gameplay as well. It could be like. Um, these enemies have flanked you because you ignored this side of the room for example um, but in a story sense it could be something grander like, like in Mass Effect letting uh, I, I chose to develop all my time with you therefore the game is naturally going to take you away from me or something like that because it's going to play on the heartstrings or whatever choice it wants to do 
Um, okay, I think that will do for this uh, episode of the podcast. Uh, thank you, Bill, for your insight and uh, experiences inside storytelling in film and games. Thank you. Um, hopefully, me. you enjoyed it. Yeah, I did. And um, hopefully, everyone listening enjoyed that too and gained some insight into how to approach their stories. Um, I say it is, it is a very wide topic. There's loads of stuff you can talk about with it. Um, but I think my main takeaway, I think the main takeaway should be from this is that um, you should be looking at film, looking at the hero's journey and taking the lessons learned from that and applying what is unique to games and unique to those experiences to tell better stories um, and with that uh, we've got no emails this week so with that we'll end that here uh, the next topic for the next uh, episode is going to be talking about the generational leap between uh, the current console iterations to the new ones the PS5 and the Xbox Series X what does that mean for game developers what kind of things you want to look out for and um, what does it mean for the industry itself what what are the technical changes going to be uh, doing to our games and what kind of things does it open up to us as game developers so if you have any questions for that you can email our show at podcast at ryanlady.com that is podcast at ryanlady.com once again thank you Bill for uh, joining me this episode thank you and uh, I'll see you all next time thank you for listening and I'll see you next time bye bye